so much, Ed, for uh, sharing with us. And thank you, uh, Nate, and all of you who prayed and served and gave for that night of uh, gospel ministry. We are just give God praise for the things that he has done. And uh, we ask you to continue to pray that the Lord will give us opportunities to hold forth the word of life uh, this holiday uh, season. I want to wish you a very, uh, I guess, a belated happy Thanksgiving and hope you had a great weekend uh, reflecting on the ways that God has graced our lives and uh, blessed us uh, so undeservingly. And uh, one of the greatest ways that the Lord blesses us is through his word. And so we want to go there this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is going to be our focus for this morning. And we're going to be looking at this morning a very encouraging and warm an affectionate passage written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And it is a passage in which we meet two very dear servants in the early church, and their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's read together from Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 19. Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him, just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him, the Lord, with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. If I were to give a title to this passage, I would entitle it Examples of Godly Conduct. Examples of Godly Conduct. Or if you want a longer title for the passage, it would be Examples of Conduct that is Worthy of the Gospel. You know that this has been Paul's Focus from chapter 1, verse 27, all the way down to chapter 2, verse 18. He's been calling the church to conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only this, only this one thing, this is the main idea of this whole passage, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we've been following Paul's flow of thought as he has been expanding upon that theme. We have seen how he has applied that main idea of conduct that is worthy of the gospel to, first of all, the pursuit of unity. And he called the church to unity in chapter 2, verse 2, saying, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then we saw how Paul applied that general idea of godly conduct to a second application, which was in chapter 2, verse 12, the pursuit of sanctification. Paul said, work out your own salvation with an attitude of fear and trembling. And so the entire passage from chapter 1, verse 27, down to chapter 2, verse 18, has been about godly 
conduct. Conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Having received the gospel, having been saved by the gospel, having uh, been uh, transformed by the gospel of Christ, we are now called to live lives in, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Now in uh, chapter 2, verse 19, Paul completes this section and completes this call to godly conduct by giving us examples. He's giving us examples of the conduct that he has been exhorting us to. These are models. These are living examples of the type of conduct he wants us to emulate and to follow. And the examples he presents to the church are Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are two key servants in the early church, and these are models of the type of conduct that Paul is calling for. I want to remind you as we come to this passage that biblical discipleship is instruction and it is example. It is teaching and it is modeling. It is principle and it is practice. I remember spending time with Pastor Peter Smith in the Czech Republic. This was years ago when he just arrived on the mission field. He barely knew the language and we had a team, a short-term team of about of six members, and we all piled into his van, and he had his family of six, and they piled into the same van, and so we're all packed in there like sardines, and we're driving around in the Czech Republic, and we get lost. And this is before GPS, this is before MapQuest. Uh, Peter can barely read the signs, so we don't know what we're doing. We're driving around in circles. I am a control freak. I don't go anywhere without my Google Maps. I like to know exactly where I am and where I'm going, and I begin to become frustrated. And just when I'm tempted to become anxious, Peter turns to the back of the van with this big, goofy grin on his face, and he says, gee, what a great opportunity to trust the Lord. Right, guys? And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Peter. What a great opportunity to rejoice in God's provision. And it just struck me at that moment, the power of example, the power of modeling. I know the precepts. I know what God's Word teaches to rejoice and to trust God. But to see it modeled before you, that is a very powerful thing. And that is biblical discipleship. It is instruction and it is example. And Paul understood this dynamic. He understood that in order to get to the Philippian church, he not only needed to give them instruction and give them exhortation, but he also needed to provide for them examples. He needed for the church to see in living color, in flesh and blood, the exact type of life that he is calling for. And that is why in verse 19, he presents to them two examples of conduct that is worthy of the gospel and these men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, the immediate reason why Paul is writing this passage is to inform the church of his future plans. He is going to, first of all, send Epaphroditus back to the church. Epaphroditus came from the church at Philippi to Paul in Rome, and Paul is now going to send Epaphroditus back to the church, carrying this letter, the letter of, to the Philippians, with him to be read to the church. Soon after that, he's going to send Timothy. Timothy is going to travel from Rome to Philippi, and he's going to find out how the church responded to the reading of this letter. So Paul not only wants to know 
that Paul not only wants to give them the letter, he wants to find out how they respond to it. He wants to know, are they going to pursue unity? Are they going to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? Are they going to hear the call to do all things without grumbling or complaining? Are they going to shine as lights in this twisted and crooked generation? Are they going to hold forth the word of life to this world that desperately needs to hear it? He wants to see how they are going to respond to the reading of this letter, and so he's going to send Timothy, who is going to return to Paul in Rome, and who's going to tell him how the Philippians have responded. And in verse 23, Paul says, I therefore hope to send Timothy as soon as I see how it will go with me. And, and he expects to be uh, encouraged by the Philippians' response. After Paul sends Epaphroditus, after Paul sends Timothy, Paul plans himself to visit Philippi. He says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send Timothy as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. You remember that Paul's awaiting trial. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die, but he does come to a personal conviction that the Lord will allow him to live. In chapter 1, verse 25, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so he plans tentatively that after I send Epaphroditus, after I send Timothy, I myself will be allowed to come and visit with you. In verse 19, he says he is making all of these plans, you'll note the phrase, in the Lord Jesus. That is, in reliance upon Christ's sovereignty and Christ's provision. He knows that man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. He is going to make these plans in a responsible way, but he's going to trust and hold them loosely and going to trust in the Lord's sovereignty to determine his steps. So the immediate reason Paul writes this passage is to communicate these plans to the church at Philippi. But as we read the passage, it becomes clear and evident to us that Paul has more on his heart than mere travel plans. If all he wanted to do is send his itinerary, he would have just summarized it in two or three verses. What Paul really wants to do is to take this opportunity to commend Timothy and Epaphroditus to the church. He wants the church to observe their sacrificial lifestyle And he wants the church to follow their examples. And I believe that this is why God has given to us, Cornerstone Bible Church, this passage. We are to look to models and examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we are to follow them as they follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I am following Christ. I'm seeking to be more like Christ. I'm seeking to know Christ. Follow my example. As I am following Christ. Philippians 3.17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The world has many bad examples. The world is filled with ungodly examples. We as the church are to note and to pay attention to godly examples in the church. We are to fix our eyes on them as they follow Christ, that we may imitate their faith and be part of this discipleship process. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And it doesn't say consider their sermons. It says consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Biblical discipleship is instruction and it is example. And that is why Paul highlights example in this text. Now, 
One of the reasons why this text is so encouraging to us is that Timothy and Epaphroditus are very different men. They are an example of the diversity in the body of Christ. Timothy's name means honoring God. What a beautiful name, a godly name. He had a godly mother who gave him this name. His life means honoring God. Epaphroditus has a name that means loved by Aphrodite, loved by the false Greek goddess of love. And he was most likely raised in a pagan home from a pagan background. Timothy was a preacher. He was a missionary. He was a teacher of God's word. He had a prominent role in leadership in the early church. Epaphroditus was very obscure. He had a ministry we know very little about. He was a faithful member of the church at Philippi, and he was given this one task, which was to bring a financial gift from Philippi to Rome, and that's all we know about this man. These men are very dissimilar, but what unites them and what gives them a united example to the church is that they both had a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we're going to see in this text, they both, both men love the gospel more than they love their very own lives, and that is why they were examples to the church. So let me just present these men before you. Paul is going to give to us these men, and he wants to hold them before us and to say, Fix your eyes on these men as they follow Christ and follow their example because it will lead you to conduct that is worthy of the gospel. First of all, we'll meet Timothy, the humble disciple. And then secondly, we'll meet Epaphroditus, the sacrificial servant. Let's first of all meet Timothy, the humble disciple. Verse 19, Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I too may be cheered of news of you. You'll notice that Timothy's trip is going to be a two-way trip. He's going to go to Philippi and then come back, and Paul wants to be cheered of news of how the church has responded to his letter. And he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Now we know here something very interesting about Timothy. The man is always being sent He's always being told, go here, go there, do this ministry, go to that church, encourage these believers. A door's open here, so go this way. Oh no, the door's open here, go this way. The man was always being sent, and we have no indication here that Timothy ever grumbled or complained as to where he was being sent. Paul doesn't say here, well, I hope that Timothy will agree to where I want to send him. He just said, I'm going to, I hope to send him. Because he already knows that Timothy's heart is to go wherever the need is. 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Timothy was always being sent by Paul, and when he wasn't being sent, he was being left behind. Acts 17, verse 14 says, The brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea. And you'll remember in the book of 1 Timothy, Timothy was given the charge to remain at Ephesus so that he may instruct certain men not to teach false doctrine. The picture we get of Timothy is that he was a humble disciple. He was completely, his life was submitted to the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He loved the gospel more than his life. 
He loved the gospel more than his plans. He didn't come to the service of Christ with a long list of personal preferences. He wasn't the kind of guy who said, well, I'll serve in the ministry if it fits with my schedule, if the conditions are right, if my desires are met, if I feel fulfilled. No, his heart was just, if the need is there, man, I'm there. If you want me to go here, if that'll serve the church, let me go there. He was available for service. And he didn't have a a long list of requirements that needed to be met. To put it simply, Timothy was flexible. He was a flexible man. Plans were always changing. Opportunities were always opening and closing. And Paul just said, I'll send him here, I'll send him there. His heart is to go wherever the need is. And he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And then he adds in verse 20, for I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy. Why? Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know, a, that's a very striking statement. It shows the affection that Paul had for Timothy, but it also shows the uniqueness of Christians who truly are sold out for the gospel of Christ, who truly will give their lives for the gospel, who truly will serve in a completely sacrificial way. He says, look, a lot of Christians here in Rome But I have no one like Timothy. Why? Because Timothy genuinely concerns, is concerned for your welfare. He genuinely cares. Look at verse 21. Paul says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, that's a sad statement, but it was an accurate one. Paul looked at the church at Rome, and you'll remember back in chapter 1, he said that the church in Rome had preachers who were filled with rival spirit. They were preaching out of rivalry and envy. They were seeking to cause Paul distress. And he looks at the church in Rome, and he says, just in a general blanket way, he says, the sad reality is that the Christians here all seek their own interests. I mean, they're saved. They're forgiven of their sins. They... They've been bought with the blood of Christ. But practically speaking, the reality is is that they're they're marked by a selfish spirit. But not Timothy. Timothy is different from these men. Timothy is genuinely concerned for the church. Timothy is submitted to the gospel of Christ. Timothy is available for service. Timothy is flexible in going wherever the spirit leads him to go. And he says, I have no one like him. He's the only one. The NASB translates this, I have no one else of kindred spirit. The Greek term is isosukos, meaning equal in soul. I have no one else who, has, who is equal in soul with me, who has the same heart, who has the same love, who has the same concern, who has the same affection for the church. I only have Timothy. And so I'm going to send Timothy because he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know, I looked at this passage and I understood a little bit of Paul's concern here. You know, we sometimes as a church, we send, many of you, we send teams to go to work with overseas missionaries. And one of our primary concerns as a leadership in forming these teams is the question, will these members care? Will this team care for the church there? 
Will they really care for the missionary? Will they really love his wife? Will they really love his children? Will they really love the church? Will they really show a genuine care and love for the church? Because as this team goes, they are demonstrating our heart as a church. And we don't want to just send anyone who will just go and just hang out. We need to express our heart, and so it's so important for us that we send teams of, made up of members who really genuinely care like Timothy. And by God's grace, we've been able to send many teams like this who have a genuine love for the believers overseas. But that was Paul's concern as he looked at Philippi. He says, I don't want to just send anyone. If I send someone who's just marked by a selfish spirit, then you're going to get the message that I don't really care about you, but I need to send someone who is isosukos, who is one in soul with me, so that you understand how much I love you because you see how much Timothy loves you. And so he says, I hope to send Timothy. He will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The word concerned here is the Greek term merimnao. It is usually translated as sinful anxiety in the New Testament. It talks about a care that is so deep that you, you feel burdened for the person. And Paul is using this here in a positive way, saying that Timothy loves the church so much that he is burdened personally. And I want you to see his heart. Timothy was there in Acts chapter 16 when the church was birthed. Timothy knew these people, and he loved these people. And so Paul was confident that he could send Timothy to the Philippian church. Verse 22, he says, You know Timothy's proven worth. I was a son with a father. He has served with me in the gospel. That's a picture of true discipleship. You know, our day, the father goes to work and the son goes off to school. But in biblical times, the son would work side by side with his father. He would learn the father's trade. He would apprentice with the father. The father would give him instruction and then model how that instruction was applied. And this is how Timothy was raised by Paul. Working side by side as a son working and ministering with his father, he served with Paul in the gospel ministry. You know, I believe that if Timothy was in our church today, we would say that this man was a spiritual sponge. I mean, he's just a guy who just is, his heart is, teach me, disciple me, model before me. I need to learn. I want to grow. I want to know Christ more. I want to I be more like Christ. And he was just soaking in everything that Paul had to offer him. And Paul saw that in Timothy, and he poured his life into this brother and Timothy served as a son with a father. You know, all of us are part of this discipleship process. All of us are part of learning from those who came before us and then imparting to those who come after us. All of us are called in some ways to be like Paul and that we have received, and so we are, we are now called to impart to others, to, to the next generation of believers, what we have learned and then all of us are at the same time called to have the spirit of Timothy. Where we say to those who have come before us, teach me, disciple me, model before me. Pour into my life so that I may know Christ and that I may be able to be an example to others. Paul understood this and Timothy understood this. And so Timothy was discipled by Paul. He was not only a man of genuine concern, he was a man of genuine discipleship. This must have just brought great joy to the Apostle Paul. 
I mean, I, as a pastor, I would just say to you that nothing brings a, a pastor greater joy than to see God's people being as sponges, never losing that sense of teachability, never losing that hunger to just learn and to grow and just saying to those who come before, I need to be taught, I need to learn because I want to be one who can teach others and pour into others. That was Timothy. He brought Paul joy. He was a true child in the faith to Paul. And then verse 22, he says, You know Timothy's proven worth. You know this man. You know how he has served with me. And he says, he has literally, the Greek word is, served as a slave with me in the gospel. He was a man of genuine care. He was a man of genuine discipleship. And he was a man of genuine humility. He served as a slave. He was a doulos of Christ. He was humble. He was self-effacing. He didn't seek the limelight. You'll note for Paul's part, he didn't abuse Timothy's attitude. You notice here that Paul does not say that Timothy served as my slave. He could have said that. I mean, I'm the discipler. He's the disciple. No, he says... Timothy served as a slave with me. We were both fellow slaves together, and that's the balance there. It was true that Paul discipled Timothy and was a father in the faith to Timothy, but at the same time before Christ, they were just fellow slaves. They served side by side for the ministry of the gospel. You know, I love Timothy because he was just a man like us. He struggled with timidity, he struggled with spiritual weakness. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul has to tell him, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Share in suffering for the gospel. But even in the midst of all his weaknesses, he was a man of true discipleship. He was a humble disciple. He was teachable. He was available. He was flexible. He was a spiritual sponge. His heart was to learn all that he could and then pour out all that he had learned. He loved the church of Jesus Christ. He was genuinely caring and burdened for the church. And above all, I think we could say that Timothy loved the gospel. It says in verse 22 that he served with me in the gospel. He loved the good news of Christ. He loved what Christ has done. He loved Jesus Christ. I think at the end of it all, what we could say is that Timothy's model, his conduct of devotion, is really an expression of his love for Christ. We're not surprised that at the end of this portrait, Timothy reflects the character of Christ. For it is Christ who demonstrated genuine concern. It was Christ who demonstrated genuine submission, being willing to be sent from the Father to this earth to accomplish redemption. On our behalf, it was Christ who genuinely looked to the interests of others and not just to the interests of himself. And it was Christ who came to this earth and took on the form of a slave, a servant, and gave himself away in humble service. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is calling us to this morning is to note the example of Timothy, to imitate him as Timothy follows Christ, to be men like Timothy. And women like Timothy, brothers and sisters who are the same spirit, flexible, available, humble in service. 
may it not be said of us, brothers and sisters, may it not be, this was my prayer as I just read the sad statement in verse 21. May that not be an evaluation of us, that yes, we are saved, and yes, we are forgiven, and yes, we are children of God, but in the end, we just seek our own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. May the spirit of Timothy be ours as well. May we note his example and imitate his faith, because in this way, we will be following after Christ. In verses 19 to 24, Paul presents to the church Timothy, the humble disciple, And then in verse 25, he calls the church to consider a second example of godly conduct. He calls the church to consider Epaphroditus, the sacrificial servant. Epaphroditus, the sacrificial servant. Verse 25, Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. I believe this example of Epaphroditus is truly encouraging, and let me tell you why. We are given many examples of models to pattern our lives after in the New Testament. Ultimately, our greatest example is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, ultimately it is Jesus Christ who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. We look to Jesus Christ, and we seek by the grace of God, to have our hearts and our lives conformed more and more into his likeness. But at some point, if we're honest, we have to confess that at some point we cannot truly relate to Jesus because after all, he is God and we are not God. He is holy and we are sinful. And so God in his grace gives us the example of Paul. Paul is a man who is much like us and we can relate to Paul. Paul did what he didn't want to do. He didn't do what he wanted to do. He struggled with sin. He had to fight the good fight. He had to beat his body and pummel himself into submission. He knew about failure. He knew about disappointment. And at some point, we we can relate more to Paul because he is truly a man, a sinful man like us. Yet at some some point, if we're honest, we cannot relate to Paul either because Paul was an apostle with a capital A. Paul was a church planner. Paul was the inspired author of scripture. Paul was the leader of leaders. Paul saw Jesus Christ with his own eyes. Paul was taken up into the third heaven. And at some point we say, well, I can't relate to that. That doesn't look anything like my life. And so God in his grace gives us Timothy. Timothy is a man who is more like us. He is what we might call a more, quote-unquote, ordinary pastor than the Apostle Paul. Not spectacular, not doing tremendous acts of ministry, but just called to be faithful, to preach God's word. He was a man who struggled with weakness. He was a man who struggled with fear. Timothy even struggled with a weak bodily constitution in 1 Timothy 5.23. Paul has to tell him, drink a little wine for your frequent ailments. He didn't write scripture. He wasn't taken up into the third heaven. And yet, even with Timothy, most of us, if we're honest, we would say there comes a point where I cannot connect with his example. Because maybe this morning you're saying, Dan, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. No one's sending me to different churches to sort out the doctrinal controversies at that church. 
I'm just a regular Christian. I wasn't discipled by some high-profile leader in the church. Maybe you're saying, Dan, I've, I believe that I'm called by God to be a faithful member of the local church. I believe that that's God's call in my life. And by God's grace, that is the call that I want to fulfill. I have no delusions of grandeur. I have no delusions that I'll ever be a point man in planting a church. I just want to be a faithful member. And you might be saying, Dan, is there an example I can relate to? And God in his grace gives us Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, who is a man, as far as we know, was simply a faithful member of the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus was a man who wrote no scripture. As far as we know, he preached no sermons. He authored no books. He gave no lectures. It appears that Epaphroditus had no place of prominence in the church. We have no indication anywhere that he was an elder or he was a deacon or he was a pastor or he was a missionary or he was a professor. All we know about this man is that he was a faithful member of the church at Philippi and he was given one crucial task in ministry to bring this financial gift to the Apostle Paul in Rome. He was called to be a courier from the church. Just get the gift there and encourage Paul. And yet in this faithful servant Epaphroditus, we see the same commitment and the same desire and the same conviction and the same love that we see in Paul and Timothy. We see that Epaphroditus was a sacrificial servant of the Lord. Verse 25, Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Here's what appears to happen in the sequence of events. Epaphroditus is given this charge, take this financial gift to Paul in Rome. Chapter 4, verse 18, Paul mentions this gift, saying, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you have sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Somewhere along the path from Philippi to Rome, it appears that Epaphroditus got sick. And we don't know what caused this illness, but we know that it was very severe, even unto death. One commentator speculates, probably Epaphroditus fell ill because of some very ordinary bug. But on the other hand, he may not have caught the bug if he had remained comfortably home on the shores of the Aegean. This sickness brings Epaphroditus near to death. It's a day without emergency rooms. It's a day without urgent care. In those days, when you came near to death, you usually died. It doesn't look like Epaphroditus is going to make it to Rome. And what does he do at this point in his ministry? Does he turn back to Philippi? Does he stop his travels? Does he cancel his journey? I think all of us would have said, look, you have every excuse to turn back. You're sick. You're about to die. I mean, if you just had uh, the flu, it's okay. Come back. We'll send someone else. But Epaphroditus is so committed He is so sold out to the gospel ministry. He so considers it a privilege to be part of what God is doing, even in this small way. 
that verse 30 tells us he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. For Epaphroditus, the ministry of the gospel was more important than his own life. The mission was more important than his health. And Paul says he did this to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What was lacking in the Philippian service to Paul? It wasn't their heart. They loved Paul. It was their presence. They had the heart to serve Paul, but they lacked the presence in Rome to demonstrate and express that heart to Paul. And Epaphroditus was so intent on getting there to Rome, he put his life at risk. And he finished the task in Rome, even though he was ill to death. This is not a man of prominence. This is not a man of prominent gifts, prominent role. This is not a man of great title or great influence in the church. But what we can say about Epaphroditus is that this is a man who loved Jesus Christ. This is a man who loved the gospel. He loved Jesus Christ so much that he began to look like Christ. How did he look like Christ? It was Christ who said that I will complete my mission sent from my Father, even though it cost me my very own life. And Epaphroditus began to look like Christ in this way, considering the ministry of the gospel more important than even preserving himself. And although we have no titles of apostle or elder or deacon given to this man, in verse 25 we have possibly the most precious titles of all. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. I remember introducing a missionary at church and I wanted to get his title right. And so I said, what do I introduce you as? Do I call you pastor? Do I call you elder? Do I call you church planter? Do I call you Bible translator? What is your title? And he said to me, I want to be introduced as brother because I don't even deserve that title. God has given it to me by his grace. And that was the title Paul gave to Epaphroditus, possibly more precious than any other title out there. He was a brother in Christ. He was a fellow worker, a fellow laborer in the gospel ministry. He was a fellow soldier laying down his life for the sake of Christ. And though he was not an apostle with a big A, he was an apostolos, an apostle with a small A, a messenger being sent from the church to Paul in Rome. He was a true minister to Paul in his time of need. And in all of this, Paul says, this man is an example. He's an example. I want you to note his life. And I want you to imitate him as he followed Christ. And just to show you how much the church loved this servant, verse 25 says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, Why? For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Look, there was a whole bunch of this meramnao, this this anxiety, this uh, godly anxiety for one another going on in the church. The Philippian church had heard that Epaphroditus was ill. 
And so they were, with this godly anxiety, concerned about how he was doing. Epaphroditus heard that the church had heard that he was ill, and so he was concerned because they were concerned, and he didn't want to burden them with his illness. And Paul was looking at Epaphroditus and the church and seeing them, that they're both so anxious about each other, and Paul was saying that this is making me anxious. He says in verse 28, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Look, all this anxiety you guys have for each other is making me anxious, and let's just all get rid of the anxiety. And I'll send him back, and you can rejoice that he's well, and your concern will be relieved, and his concern at your concern will be relieved, and then my concern at seeing both of you concerned will be gone. This is Christian love, Christian concern for one another, And in the end, Paul gives this Epaphroditus this commendation, verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Look, the call to honor believers is not just extended to leaders. It is not just extended to people of prominence. It is not just extended to national speakers who travel at conferences. It's not just extended to those who are called professors or elders or deacons or pastors. Paul calls in verse 29 to honor the faithful members of the local church. Honor those who give their lives for the sake of the gospel day in and day out, week in and week out, year after year. As I studied this text, the Lord just brought to mind many, many of you at Cornerstone Bible Church, many faithful, sacrificial servants of this church. There are many of you who will never plant a church. You will never write a book. You will never start a nationwide blog that thousands of people read. You will never have a podcast of your own. You will never speak at a conference. You will never lead a training institute. You may never preach a sermon. And yet the Lord called to mind just name after name, just saint after saint, who faithfully, day after day, in the context of the local church, lay down your lives for the sake of the gospel. And I believe that although this... uh, In this life, you may never have the title of elder or deacon or professor or teacher. That the Lord has assigned to you the most precious titles of all. The titles of brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister. And we are called to honor faithful servants in the church like these. Men and women like Epaphroditus. You know... Uh, brothers and sisters, I believe that in the province of God that there are, there are few Timothys in the church. In the sense of there are few preachers, there are few pastors, there are few men who are entrusted with the task of sorting out doctrinal controversies going from church to church. The, those men are relatively rare. I, I believe that in the province of God that there are even fewer Pauls. There are Very few men who are leaders of leaders, who are pastors of pastors. Very few men who have influence beyond the range of one local church, who pastor number of local churches and have influence statewide or nationwide. But I believe by God's grace, if we are faithful, 
that there will be many, many men and women like Epaphroditus. And my prayer for this church is that there would be many, many men and women like Epaphroditus. Many faithful servants who are loyal to their local church, who in the context of their regular lives and regular families and regular duties are sold out to Jesus Christ, who love the gospel more than they love their own lives, and because they love Jesus Christ so much, what you see in their lives is that they begin to look like Jesus. They count even the smallest task. Carry this letter. Take this check. Even the smallest task for the sake of the gospel is more precious to them than even their own lives. Because that is how much they love Christ. This is the example of Epaphroditus. I believe this is the example of many of you in this church. And I believe that this is the example that God wants us to follow because this is conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so all of this, this is the last message in this topic, conduct that is worthy of the gospel, all of, it, all of this brings us back to the verse that began it in chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we conclude our series in this precious chapter, I would say to you that it is all about, in the end, what Paul says. It is all about the gospel of Christ. It is because we love the gospel. It is because we cherish the gospel. It is because we are living lives transformed by the gospel that we pursue unity as a church, that we pursue sanctification, blameless lives in this wicked and twisted generation, and that we note godly models who are before us, and that we imitate them as they follow Christ, that the gospel may go forward in this world. Would you bow with me and let's close our time in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for these men. Father, though we have spent a brief time with them this morning, we feel like we know them. We feel like they are our friends. We feel like we have a relationship with them. Lord, I believe that the reason we feel that way is because there are, by God's grace, men and women that we have known, even in this church, who are like Timothy and who are like Epaphroditus. We have seen the character of these two men fleshed out and reproduced through the process of discipleship, even to our day and even to our church. And Lord, our prayer would be that that process would continue and multiply. Lord, help us like Timothy to be humble disciples. Lord, give us hearts that desire to soak in everything that you would have to offer us. Lord, may the tribe of Epaphroditus increase and multiply in our church. May we be faithful servants in our local church, serving faithfully in our context with no delusions of grandeur, just wanting to be faithful before you. The gospel would go forward in our lives. We thank you and we 
pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.